0: This is Keywords and I'm Zoe Cummins. This week, conversation, essay, diary entries, stories and sounds from Nuala O'Connor, Jodie O'Neill, John Smith and Tim Lilburn, Emma Flynn, Regan Hutchins and Kevin Donovan, Bill and Liam Garrity, and Alexi Francis. All guided by the keyword by nature. Very early morning, and just emerging from last night, the birds are just waking up. There's a cold snap this week that hasn't been there for a while, and I'm off for an early morning walk. <laughs> you can hear that dawn chorus. The first buses aren't even in service yet. On my early morning walk, there's a, a ramshackle building. Tucked into the side of one of my paths. Sometimes I pass it quickly, forgetting it's there, and other times I peer in to see what I can. Now and again. Over the past while, you can hear a scratching. Not at the moment. I can barely see in through the hole in the corrugated door. Not pigeons. And far too busy around here for owls. Swifts. House Martins, maybe. No. Nothing this morning. But writer Nuala O'Connor's story Loft imagines what might be inside.
1: We put the eggs into our pockets, white-specked and warm, no larger than stones. We walk away from the loft, catch the next bus. The aisle is wedged with commuters, sweat-hot, damp. A pregnant woman, the ovoid of her belly a rude lump, sways then swoons, bashing off us as she faints. We both careen sideways, away from each other, into other people. The bus lurches then halts. We put our hands into our pockets. Fragments cling to yolk and albumen. We raise our fingers to show each other. We had been expecting feathers.
0: There's a tree I always try to walk past on my daily outings. There's four trees, four sycamores. It's like a village in the clearing. There's it's always birds having a go at each other here. Brawling in the village square. Chasing each other, right on cue there. Chasing each other up and down. Courting, carrying worms back in their beaks, insects. Like shopping. And while we're overhauling the way we live, finding some sort of new footing, the natural world seems to have its own schedule. In fact, the trees in writer and actresses Jodie O'Neill's Dublin are well organised. And like these trees here, they're gathering.
2: And now that the people were gone, they could finally get on with their lives. They moved slowly in the daytime, playing it safe. They focused their time on growing. Popping out a new leaf here. Extending a twig there. But come nightfall, they would roam, wild. Bushes roaring down Marion Row. Trees taller than double-decker buses striding up the middle of the road as if they'd been doing it since time began. Which of course they have, haven't they? Because what's beneath that thin veneer of temporary tarmac, if not a network of roots? Just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. They convened in the city centre by the dozen, great swathes of them, in the fullest of green now that summer was here. A group of them made the trek all the way in from Dublin 4, decked out in those yellow ribbons the humans gave them to protest the threat hanging over their lives. They talked about what they might do about it. They spoke of fighting back. There were even whispers of a revolution. But for the most part, It was simply enough that they gathered, that they stood together, close, after all this time apart. Before dawn, they began their journeys back, witnessed only by drunk city foxes stumbling home to their dens.
0: I sometimes walk along the verges of the road. With no cars it feels like reclaiming them. But there's also a lot to notice on the verge. Seems like the perfect phrase to describe me at the moment. And things on the verge. I look at what grows alongside roads and ditches or trails, fields. They connect the human world with the natural You can just hear a busy road beyond me here, and lining the verge here, cow parsley. Its leaves smell a bit like parsley if you crush them, but it's very easy to confuse it with hemlock. Whereas you can eat cow parsley, hemlock is very poisonous, and though I've never tested it, apparently hemlock smells of mouse pee. I think cow parsley grows a little earlier. Here it's kind of fading now, past halfway through its flowering cycle. And in places cow parsley and hemlock grow together. And their leaves are so similar I wouldn't stake my life on eating either. Best to steer clear. Most people associate hemlock with spells and potions. I know I do. And suddenly with one plant you're transported by nature into a time of myth and magic where you can really lose yourself in story. Writer Alexi Francis has been led deep into the woods by the lines of a poem by the American poet David Wagner. Stand still. The trees ahead and bushes
1: beside you are not lost. Here's Alexi's response on how to find your way. Sometimes, if you are lost, you may be taken "'Come,' she said and took my arm, her presence a-bristling beneath the skin. I had come a long way, stumbling among brambles, honeysuckle, white dead nettles. I had found myself here in her shade. The light was fading, dancing leaf shadows on the trunks of the trees. The sun still oozed through the cracks and seams of the forest. Lie down, she told me. The breeze was getting up, cold from the northern hills. I sighed and reached out my hands into the leaf litter. In the centipede, ant, woodlouse world beneath the fallen beech, I lay down, the trees floating about me. Let me dream, I said. Let me forget I am lost. A forest of archers came with dusk. They stood about me, dark silhouettes against the burgundy sky, ready to take me back. I wanted to forget, but my tangled dream enticed me down into oak and beech, hawthorn and hornbeam, spindle and hazel. And there it was, a hazel hand outstretched from me in the black earth, guiding me through the night. She left as morning broke the yellow eggshell sky, and I sat alone beneath the fallen beach. The archer's hoofprints in the damp earth led out of the forest. I followed. There is no way if you are lost, I heard the trees say blithely in the breeze. It will soon be over. I had memories of the path before, memories of the river, but they were fading now. And soon I stood in the sunlight in the middle of the field. I took the graft of hazel wand and held it to my heart. Leaves began to sprout and unfurl from the branches that now snagged the scudding clouds overhead. Tendrils twisted from my nose and mouth. It is too late, she had said, too late. The archers would not return now. Down into the earth my root toes lengthened, clutching at chalk nodules, clutching at flints one by one. Snails took shelter among them, violets sprung up in the soil between them. Then in my branches a blackbird began to build her heavenly nest, twig by twig, while swallows wove the cerulean sky above my crown.
0: Many of you are more comfortable outside than in. I certainly get a lot from walking. It clears my head. There's a rhythm to it and then to your days. And with less human contact, you might come across other things to turn your attention to. The smallness of a beetle, a blossom or even a piece of litter on the ground. Is it starting? Liam Garrity is a radio producer. He spent time with his father Bill, who's much more at home outside. Here he is, in his garden.
3: I'm just pulling up some um, onions. Uh, the green part along the same, is just starting to fall over, and that means they're um, they're ready to be. Um, just pulled up and left underground the and to dry out. It's a nice dry evening, so it's a good time to do them. To dry out in the sun or a bit of warm weather and uh, nice fresh onions for the rest of that. Here, now, oh, for the satisfaction the grown in from small little bowls a couple of months ago. Let's see them development I love big adult onions
0: we'll return to Bill in his garden shortly but right now we're dropping in on writer Emma Flynn in her Berlin apartment and her nature diary as a way to track small changes
4: Friday April 17th there are bugs in the soil of my devil's ivy flies almost transparent flittering when I focus on one, I see ten more, and upon digging I see them emerge in clots from the tightly packed roots. I google it and informed that I overwater. Saturday, April 18th. Today I set seeds in a makeshift planter, an egg box. I spaced them out, leaving room between them to grow both tall and wide. One packet of tomatoes and one packet of bell peppers. There were ten seeds in each packet, which felt remarkably mean for the price. I forgot to label them. We will see. Sunday, April 19th. I do not know the name of the tree outside the window of our apartment. I feel I should. I feel like the trees in city streets are common. They're the ones you would have learned the name of in primary school, tracing around the leaves on a blank page. Its branches reach across from number 26 to 24. At the start, it was brown and bare, dead and asleep. Then, tightly-knotted green buds appeared at the end of each brittle twig. Then the buds loosened. There was something to loosen for. The sun was almost like summer. Now they have opened and I can see the start of leaves. Once there are leaves, I can learn its name. Tuesday, April 21st. I have an app on my phone called Plant Snap. When you upload a picture of a plant, it identifies the name of it. I tried it with the tree, but it didn't work, obviously. It did work on something I learned that was called a Diffenbachia. It's my reliable plant. There are never dead, dry leaves, never flies. I can trust it. Wednesday, April 22nd. On a video call with my mother, she switched from the front-facing camera to show me a cutting I gave her for Christmas, which has since been potted and is about one foot tall, with sprigs and stems and new leaves, it is a very full plant. I show her my original plant, which I also got as a cutting, from someone who also got it as a cutting, from a mother plant who I think was originally from Sweden. I have one long stem with wide, green and pink leaves, it's pathetic. My mother shows me how to cut it back so it will thicken. Coleus is easily the most beautiful plant I've ever seen, so I'm eager to save it. After a few days, it bucks up a bit. If I can set the right conditions for this life to thrive, I will be content.
0: It's encouraging to keep an eye on those tiny shoots, measuring each day by them. Back to Liam Geraghty and his father Bill, and to the garden where Bill and creatures dance around each
3: other. As you know, I spend a lot of time in the garden, gardening, and a young robin was in the garden. I spotted him over at the bushes and I enticed him uh, over by dropping worms and little bits of food over to him. Robins, by nature, are uh, very um, social little birds. They're very friendly and they get used to people. So eventually I got them to come onto my hand, I put some worms on it, and after uh, a lot of hours down and patience, and eventually came on. And then I started feeding them from the windowsill of the house, leaving some cheese out for them, and they get used to you, that's basically what it is. The robins get used to people, and they're friendly little birds. If you're nice and gentle with them, you will eventually probably get them to feed out of your hand, which we've done. Then when the wind blows, we have a nice little Chinese. Not um, lat- oh, nice. And just as we speak, there's my little friend Robin just after landing on a tree behind you. And normally what he does now he'll fly over to our window sill and he land on the little flower pot I leave out for him. And he'll stay there till we open the window. This is my little friend. Um, one of my little garden sheds I leave the door open he loves coming in here and uh, keeps himself busy popping around the shelves and uh, I had noticed about robins they love company got very used to me so now I'm going to water my tomato plants need a bit of watering Just have been dry for the last few days for an outside tomato plant like good water them.
0: Unlike Bill, I'm not very green-fingered. I try, but nature seems to have other plans for my efforts. I'm just coming back into my house from my walk and here in front of my sitting room window there's a patch where i planted heaps of meadow seeds last year to encourage bees they were of course eaten by birds now they've probably been deposited in somebody else's garden and are in full flower instead i have this patch with a lovely range of weeds in it there's shepherd's purse and wood even my neighbor told me the name of that one and i don't know that one But there's loads of dandelions, and I know the bees like those, so that's something, I guess. And even though I've had all the time in the world over the last couple of months, I haven't pulled any of the other weeds. Even though I like walking, I guess, by nature, I'm a little lazy too. Regan Hutchins works on this series. He's lucky enough to live beside the largest urban park in Europe, Phoenix Park in Dublin. He's also been taking early morning walks with Kevin Donovan, lured by the sound of the larks. Do you like them? Yeah,
5: (laughs) they're really mad. They're like little flying heart attacks. (laughs) But it's also a very hopeful sound. It is a very hopeful sound. energy and mm-hmm. future and it's also very kind of in the now sound like ha- it sounds like all the energy is being expended now like you're in the middle of an experience when you hear one it's right. very immersive it? yeah I like the fact that it sounds like messages as well like SOS or Morse code or something The kind of snarling, crackling... Yeah, like something's coming down the line, and it's really urgent. (laughs) It's really important, and you've got to hear it and pay attention. And it doesn't matter that you don't know what it means, you just know that it's important. What aspects of the shutdown, and agree with you. Agree with your nature. <laughs> um, I don't miss pubs, if that's what you're after. Well, more it's, than pubs. It's kind of, it's just very nice for the place not to be so full all the time of people. And for the streets to be quieter and for people to be slower and say hello to each other and for people to be slightly more conscious of where they are and what they're doing and who's around them. And I find that all very civic or something. Mm. I find it very like people are more of a collective or something. Right. Which is funny because normally people think of cities as being very collective and full of energy but it's it's really just people kind of peddling the machine normally whereas now people seem a little more because their lives are more unusual they take more notice of them and you come across each other rarely so it's kind of an event when Mm -hmm. when you see somebody
0: That's me ready for the day now after my walk. Time to start the dreaded homeschooling. First up, Irish, which isn't my strong subject, so family members doing that over Zoom. Actually, noticing more about your home and surroundings, feeling fully connected to it takes time, and in a way becoming close enough to hear it and repeated sounds, whether it's Irish or any language. To Canada now and the Pacific Northwest. It's a mysterious landscape, rich in myth and First Nation languages. When he moved to the Saanich Peninsula in Vancouver, poet and academic Tim Lilburn found it difficult to connect with his surroundings. Language for Tim was his way into nature. Not to observe it at a distance, but to become part of it as nature. Radio producer John Smith brings us closer to that landscape.
6: The language appears as a boat brushing through 10-day rain trees. We can see it through smoke or fogtail, boat of human and animal hair, on closer examination, and tree hair and brindled mushrooms old or burnt hair boat smell the language Sanchothan the boat tongue mouth hover of the tidal region its last glaciation nouns tarred with pliable rhythms of the mouth under tongue ush ush sound i grew up in regina saskatchewan we lived right on the edge of the city in a, a kind of poor semi-rural area, not too far from a creek. So, I mean, we'd simply sort of step out the back door and be on the prairie or uh, be going down to the creek, polling rafts or, or rowing boats that we'd built or found. Yeah, it was in some ways idyllic. Uh, we moved out here in uh, 2004 before that time, I'd lived on the prairies, I'd lived in Africa for a while, I lived in the States for a bit, lived sort of sporadically in China. People in Canada tend to see this as paradise and envy folks who live here, but I, I had a hard time settling here. I didn't know the names for things here. I felt very clumsy and prelinguistic, like a two-year-old. I mean, I do think it takes a while to become befriended by a place or to settle in a place. And I think it is possible that one never does this. The place could just toss you out, bounce you away. I think a deep form of being in a place amounts to being fed by it. And I couldn't find a way to be fed by this place This, this bush right here, it's called tzakken, tzakken. It's the first wildflower, one of the first wildflowers to come up in the spring. Right in front of us are camas, camas lilies coming out of the ground, far from bloom. And these are fawn lilies. First of all, tzakken uh, blooms, and then the fawn lilies, and then the camas. And when the camas blooms, this whole side of the mountain will be purple. It's, it's quite gorgeous. Yeah. For me, what was crucial, a couple of things were crucial. One was uh, encountering these two mountains in the area, Pakals and uh, Wamayathan, and then beginning to learn uh, Senchothan. That's what allowed me to settle here. You know, there's not many speakers of Senchathan. maybe 25 people on the face of the earth. The only person I could speak to would be my teacher. It exists in written form since probably the mid-60s. There is no dictionary, although one is being written now. For me, it's a kind of chthonic tongue. It's a language that I use when I'm on the land. In Sanchotan linguistic theory, they say that uh, the language comes from the land. Language is land in linguistic form. Humans hear it and use it, but they don't create it. The land creates it. Imagine a stone about the size of your hand being rocked back and forth by the tidal ebb and flow. That is the sound that you have to try to replicate. Cocolite. Cocolite. That's the name of a particular kind of tree that you will see them uh, quite close to the shore all hear the whiff and woof of the tiny keels tottering through northern rainforest. If you can learn a land deeply enough, each boat nosing very slowly among trees, it becomes like your other body, your additional body, not too high on the mountain's west sharp slope. Yeah, then there is a kind of homecoming. There is a kind of reuniting. And raccoons, madrones, ferns, chanterelles angle toward them, allowing a slight splaying to come into their own dear selves. Yeah, the prairies call me back, but I don't see how, I don't see how I could leave this place now.
0: Poet Tim Lilburn there, reminding me that nature is just an extension of our own body speaking in one tongue. Next week's keyword is Common Ground. If you want to keep in touch with Keywords, we're on Twitter at KeywordsPod. Keywords is a new normal culture
2: production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, Sound and Vision Fund.